0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in. James Fox coming alongside us shortly. He is on Twitter at JamesFox917. I'm at Rankin906. You can follow us on Twitter at Future Sox. That's where we provide all the content that you're looking for regarding the Chicago White Sox minor league system and just keeping track of the organization. We are now a part of Sox Machine, so it's a wonderful situation where we can focus on the minor league squad while also kind of dissecting the big league picture and using Sox Machine, Future Sox, together as a powerhouse of White Sox coverage. So hopefully so far you enjoy it. And really for us, the content's been great, in my opinion, and I'm just a little biased. Today, that doesn't change because we have an interview for you coming up a little later with Ben Spanier. He works at Baseball Prospectus. He's an evaluator, and he hangs out around the Carolina area. It's perfect for us because, well, that's where the single A... Clubs are for the Chicago White Sox minor league affiliates. And really, that's where the bulk of the talent is for the White Sox 30th ranked farm system at this point. And we've talked at nauseam as to why they got to the 30th ranked spot across Major League Baseball. But a large part of that is because their young talent fills up their top 15, even their top 10. And where are they now? In Kanapolis and in Winston-Salem. So Ben Spanier is going to provide a wonderful perspective. Boots on the ground. Saw these players in person that we're going to ask him about those Oscar Colas types that you're interested in, we're interested in. Stay tuned for that interview. But here's a treat to begin the conversation that I'd like to get to because our Jeff Cohen of Charlotte, he covers the Knights. That's the A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox for us at Future Sox and Sox Machine he was able to sit down with Lorenzo Bundy, Lorenzo Bundy, the former minor league and Mexican league player for over a decade and who has managed minor league baseball dating back to 1990, is now the White Sox Advanced A manager in Winston-Salem. So, our Jeff Cohen had a chance to talk to him about a few things that I thought were noteworthy, and I wanted to share it with you here on the Future Sox podcast. So, be sure to thank Jeff Cohen on Twitter. You can follow him at Triple A Jeff. So, here's how we'll begin. Lorenzo Bundy coming in for the first time within the organization, this is his first time working for the Chicago White Sox, previously worked with the New York Mets, was the manager of their A affiliate. Before that, he managed in the Mexican League, as well as with the Los Angeles Dodgers a few years prior to that. So he has experience managing in the minor leagues. He also played in the minor leagues, as I said. But here is his perspective. And this is like fresh perspective, too, on a guy who knows what talent is, of course. So he gets it. This is, I thought, pretty telling when it comes to Lorenzo Bundy, first-time manager with the White Sox and the minor league White Sox affiliate Winston-Salem Dash, being asked about their top international signing, Oscar Colas. Now, remember, Oscar Colas was tagged as the dual type out of Cuba who pitches and bats and plays the field. Well, no more pitching in Oscar Colas' future, but he can hit. And he can play the field a little bit. So take a listen on Lorenzo Bundy, the manager of the Winston-Salem Dash, his perspective on the young player, Colas.
2: Oscar obviously is a, is a player that we are really excited about as an organization. Tremendous talent, especially sometimes we talk about bat-to-ball as far as a hitter. Oscar has really good hands. Once he figures out how really good his hands are, this kid is going to be really special. He can do things uh, with the bat that a lot of people wish they could do. What I'm encouraged about with Oscar is uh, some of his best plate appearances, some of his best at bats offensively have come with two strikes. When he shortens it up, I mean, he's really, really dangerous. What we're trying to do with Oscar right now is just trying to get him back into the strike zone, keep him in the strike zone so he doesn't give away at bats. Defensively, uh, uh, other than one little boo-boo on a fly ball. Uh, he's played pretty well. Uh, you know, he throws average. Do I see him as a big-league center fielder? He hasn't given me any reason to say that he do- that he can't play big-league center field. But, you know, I think the power is going to come, and uh, that, that power may just force him to play on the corners, maybe left or right field.
1: So age is a factor, size is very encouraging, and also the discipline at the plate. You... Fine-tune his plate approach. That's a big leaguer, and I agree with him in terms of how. How am I going to disagree to him? You know, as the manager who's watching this player play. But leading into that interview and having and hearing it for the first time, I completely agree that Oscar Colas is a corner outfielder. Ultimately, so that is something very encouraging. Just to start this out, now as we transition over to the starting pitching side, who are the two names? If I could ask you, the future Sox listener, that are seemingly always paired together since they've been drafted, it's Andrew Dahlquist and Matt Thompson. So our guy Jeff was curious about the two, and so was I. Here is the answer provided by Lorenzo Bundy regarding what he's seen so far in Andrew Dahlquist and Matt Thompson, two top 10 pitching prospects in the White Sox farm system.
2: Andrew's been good. You know, He's been one of the decent guys as far as uh, his walks. Uh, Andrew's gotten in trouble with the, uh, with the home run ball. And the majority of the home runs that have been hit off of Andrew has been on his slider. Andrew throws a slider and a curveball. And normally when you have two breaking ball pitches, one of those pitches is probably going to be one that's – it's not going to be as quality as the other one. You know, you don't have many guys that can master – that can spin a curveball and can spin a slider without it affecting one of the other pitches. As far as as Matt – Matt was our first – first pitcher that had to work with the time clock being enforced. Yeah. And I think he had a rough time with that as far as getting caught up with it. Uh, I think he got to the point where he, he was working so fast as far as trying to stay within the, 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 the qualifications of the of the pitch clock that uh, the game sped up on him a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, Matt, had his first start was very good. You know, he gave us five innings. I think he gave up one run that, in that first start. And then his second start, uh, I think he got caught up in the in, the, in trying to uh, pitch a little bit, work a little bit quicker than what he normally does. And uh, it, it wasn't as good for him. His, his command, he was rushing. Uh, he didn't have the location of his pitches. Uh, he fell behind the hitters. But those two guys are a couple of guys that were definitely dependent. Uh, and the organization is looking to get those guys' uh, uh, quality work and, and where see what lies ahead for them. Uh, I don't want to put ceiling on people. I think guys will, their ceiling will will happen as as it happens. You get them out there on the bumper every fifth day and you let them pitch, and then you see what you got. I've
1: always been a fan of Andrew Dahlquist because of his pitch ability. It looked like he could be a starting pitcher based on the stuff that he throws. It's got to get better. But it seems to me he throws four pitches. Fastball, changeup, slider, curve. And the two-pitch mix of the breaking ball is really interesting. So that's something of note. 100%. Now Bundy did detail the fact that his slider is getting beat. It gets beat because he's leaving it up in the zone. That's Dahlquist. It's interesting, though. If if Dahlquist can manage to continue to pound the strike zone and hone in three pitches, locate your fastball. It doesn't have to be plus-plus. Right, just give me a plus fastball that you can locate and a change up that plays very well off of it, you're almost there. Your third pitch is a deciding factor of whether or not you can pitch in the big leagues as a starter, and your fourth pitch turns you into a mainstay rotation regular. So there you go on Andrew Dahlquist. So I've been, I've been up on Dahlquist. I, I'm trying to temper my expectations there because of some of the concerns that are attached to his game. But here we are. He's still young in his career. The 2020 season did have an impact on this class specifically. You know, Drafted right out of high school, you don't have that developmental year uh, with the luxury of a full season in minor league baseball completely canceled in 2020. And Matt Thompson, same deal. Matt Thompson is an athletic, hard-throwing arm. So just to hear Lorenzo Bundy's evaluation of what he's seen so far this year, I think the pitch clock is really fascinating. I think it's it's a positive, it's a it's a positive for the fan base who are interested in Major League Baseball that will help retain your attention, mainly because of the nothingness that happens in between pitches. So it's interesting to learn the player's perspective of it, like hearing the manager talk about how Thompson struggled dealing with the pitch clock. Oh, it was fascinating. All of its good stuff. Now, here's what I will leave you before we get to Ben Spanier of baseball prospectus. He'll get you even more insight on the guys from Kannapolis and Winston-Salem. Here's a cut of somebody that we're high on, MLB Pipeline's high on, Baseball America's high on, and Baseball Perspective is high on. That is Brian Ramos.
2: This is my first year in this organization, and obviously uh, his name popped up a couple of times, and, uh, and I, I'm really proud of this guy for quite a few reasons. Uh, you know, coming from Cuba... And this guy, his English now is very, very good. So this is this is an accomplishment that this young man has taken upon himself, and working with the organization. Who I think uh, Aaron's our the young lady that's in charge of uh, English classes and get these guys their their English degrees and things like that. She she really does a great job with these kids. And what he has accomplished as as far as learning English, and now this is something that's going to allow his development to move a lot quicker as far as going up the ladder. Fortunately for me, I, I, I do speak Spanish, uh, and I, I, I'm fluid, I am fluid in Spanish. and so, But uh, I, I had a conversation with uh, Ramo in spring training, and I said, Ramo, are you comfortable with us speaking English all the time? And he said yes. And so I think this tells a lot about the human being, and the goals that he has as far as trying to get to the big leagues, that he, he's willing to do anything and everything to, to make himself a better player. Offensively, he's been really good. This young man hits the ball very hard. He uses the whole field. And uh, he's really good when he's, when he's driving the ball to right center field. Defensively, at third base, he's made, he's made the majority of plays. Uh, he has an error or two. But uh, I think one of those nights was a throwing error. And I, it was really chilly. <laughs> in in Winston Salem, and I, I I could tell where the ball was coming out of his hands that he probably wasn't feeling his fingers. I don't think they uh, they get down to 40, 40 degrees. Wind chill factors are uh, twenty and twenty five in in Havana, Cuba. So uh, that was a little bit of adjustment he, he does make. But you know, I, I talked to my Latin, my Latinos the next day about dealing with the cold weather, and I said, just remember, our big league club plays in Chicago. So it gets a little chilly there. So we're going to have to make these adjustments and do things like that. And Ramos is one of the guys that makes these adjustments. And uh, he's a great teammate. He's a great teammate. Uh, The the guys look at him as far as one of the leaders on our ball club. Uh, I'm really proud of this young man.
1: Brian Ramos is shooting up the prospect rankings in the White Sox system. And I think we're going to continue to move him up on the ledger there. But, I mean, that is just so personable. Right, like those are the types of things you're looking for that you can only get here at Future Sox. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, talk about a valuable bit of sound there, perspective on just the player as a person. So you talk about all the makings of somebody who has what it takes to get to the big leagues, skill set wise. The guy's got talent. The guy's got power. We know that, and the fact that he's saying he can, he's doing the job at third so far. Like that's where we hope he can stick is third base, and. We'll get perspective from Ben here in a second talking about just that, but there is some reassurance going on. Brian Ramos is a top prospect that we've been very high on dating back to the end of 2020 and early portion of 2021. Same with Jose Rodriguez, another guy we like to pair Brian Ramos with because they're on the same sort of trajectory, but all good stuff from Lorenzo Bundy, the manager of Winston Salem. Thank you, Jeff Cohen for providing that audio. So now let's get somebody's perspective who doesn't have ties to the organization. Now that's important. Just an evaluator of a reputable site. Obviously, Baseball Perspectives, if you're familiar with the platform, then you're. You, you, I don't have to explain it. The coverage is quality. And I hope you enjoy this interview. So here, without further ado, is Ben Spanier of Baseball Perspectives talking about the Chicago White Sox minor league affiliates, specifically Kanapolis and
0: Winston-Salem. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Pleased to be joined now by Ben Spanier of Baseball Prospectus. You can follow Ben on Twitter at B underscore Span, the number two. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time and jumping on the Future Sox Podcast. You were traveling around the area uh, that we like to focus on in Low A and High A in the White Sox system, Kanapolis and Winston Salem. So we're gonna pick your brain about what you saw. But first and foremost, thanks for taking the time. And just curious on how things are going for you over at Baseball Perspectives.
3: Oh yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me. You know I always appreciate you know talking to White Sox people about prospects. You know I, I've uh, met a lot of cool uh, White Sox fans on Twitter, and uh, and I agree, High A and Low A. I. You know, we have AAA here too, but I love high A and low A because it's um, where you can see, you know, try to put together the puzzle of uh, development and all that. Guys aren't fully developed yet, uh, not fully formed. So it, it's very exciting. And no, things are going well over there. We've got a lot of people in a lot of places. I love to read our Cow League reports because otherwise I have no idea what's even going on in the West Coast, I you know, and things are great and I'm uh, I'm enjoying the beginning of the season.
1: Well, that's good. And uh, believe me, I totally understand the grind of, of catching all the games and doing all the work as a scout. And we read your writing at Baseball Prospectus. go to baseballperspectives.com and think about signing up if you're willing and able, and you'd like what you hear here from Ben. Uh, there's a lot of the content that you are craving that you see already at Future Sox, but league wide on baseballprospectus.com. All right, Ben, let's start in Canapolis. A lot to get to. We're excited about the hitters. Really when we look at the White Sox, 30th-ring farm system, a lot of the prospects across their top 30 are incorporated in the low-A, high-A areas of the organization. Now, there's a handful in Birmingham that we really enjoy, but the meat of it is in single-A at this point. And in Canapolis. the White Sox have a top-10 pitching prospect in Jared Kelly. He had struggles last year. Uh, This season, he got a late start. You saw him pitch. What did you see? What did you like? What did you dislike? Well, uh,
3: for Kelly, as it is with, the, it seems like most pitchers, health is always a the, the question and you don't know what's going to happen there. He definitely didn't get all the development in last year. People would have liked to see. Um, and I, I still don't really think it, it, it doesn't really seem like his pitch counts getting up yet. He was, um, I believe he got through two or three innings. I mean, it's not like they were squaring up everything. It was one of those, you know, sometimes things in the lower levels get kind of weird with defense and with what happens here, but, you know, what, but the stuff is still good. I, for the most part, see see a two-pitch guy um, who I think will, you know, end up sort of having some, might end up having some kind of relief floor if things end up going that way. I don't know. I'm sure that's not where they're thinking at the moment. But if things go that way, I mean, he's got a heavy fastball, mid-90s. He'll get up the upper 90s, though I didn't really see that a whole lot last time, Um could be a pitch that if he locates it a little better, could definitely be hard to square up. I could see him getting pop ups and ground outs on it. Um, I do think his slider is really promising because he'll get up to, if he's up at 95 with the fastball and the slider is like 87, 88, it can be sharp. It's got a little bit of horizontal and vertical movement to it. And, um, I mean, certainly at this level, guys that swing and miss at that, I, I just think for him, it, it you know, it's really going to be about commanding the ball and being able to go deep into games. Um, Neither of those two things we've really seen a whole lot of um, yet in his career, but he also, he hasn't he hasn't racked up a whole lot of innings, and there's, there's just not a whole lot to go on at this point, but he's still someone who, um,
1: if I'm going to the game and he's the pitcher, I'm excited to see it. So you saw him one time, yeah. but just to follow up quickly on Kelly, what were some of the things that stood out to you in his delivery, mechanics, his size? In his delivery, do you feel like he has what it takes, or was there anything within his mechanics that says okay, like some of the issues that we're concerned about can be fixed?
3: I wouldn't say I'm horribly concerned about his uh, mechanics. I've definitely seen guys who are who are less consistent with mechanics. As far as his size, I mean, he's a bigger guy for sure. I thought he looked a little bit a little bit more together in a bunch of different ways the the mechanics are an interesting question. I don't think there's anything that jumps out mechanics wise that says this guy's going to be a reliever or this guy can't start. I, you know, that's not really been the issue. Though obviously the pitch location is a concern because it it kind of seems like he's focused on getting the ball over the plate. Obviously there's no way to to, to read his mind, but that's kind of what it feels like. And I, I'm not sure he's at the level right now of uh, locating in the different quadrants or, or locating arm side, glove side, that kind of stuff where you would like him to be. But that's the case with a lot of guys at that level. And that's one of the challenges when you're looking at command, you know, when you're looking at command and control, some guys are still trying to work at control and they're not there with command. And at this level, it, it really jumps out at you when a guy does have that command already.
4: So you know, looking at your Twitter feed, you did see uh, Colson Montgomery double. He's he's off to a pretty solid start down there in Kanopolis. You know, he's he's twenty, but it's his first year Is their first round pick last year as a high schooler. What have you uh, seen when you've seen Colson Montgomery in person?
3: I think a lot of the stuff I've seen definitely um, goes well with, with what we've heard before. He definitely, you know, he looks like an athlete to me. He's, he's a, you know, a good athlete. He's a, he's a big guy, but not like a really broad guy. So I don't necessarily think that it's a huge concern to um, thinking about a position change right now, though he may have more of a typical, you know, third base look to him than shortstop. And this is not a, a comp in terms of player skills, really. But he just, he, he looks like Corey Seager, basically. He's got that type of body. At the plate it doesn't quite look like he's i mean this is off of about five plate appearances for me, though as you said, I did see him double, and I actually saw another a clip because uh, the cannonballers have a good um, you know have a good video set they've got a good camera, and I saw him hit an opposite field home run a day or two later it's clear that he knows how to use the opposite field and that there's a lot of power behind it because he can drive the ball out there. The double wasn't really stung but he did. He did have some pretty good feel with the bat to get the barrel to where he needed to get it to do that. And to me, it doesn't look he's swinging with a whole lot of conviction yet. It looks like he's still feeling around a little bit. That's just sort of what it looked like to me. That, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because like I said, I think he's definitely has some feel for the barrel, and I think he's got some. You know, he's got power there. You know, I know he's not. He's not terribly young for the level. Um, being an older high school pick. But he, he's, he's still in the early stages, but I I can definitely, you know, see a lot to see a lot to get excited about there, at least from what I saw. I mean, he moves well, so he moves well and his actions looked OK to me. And, you know, he should have the range at least early on. You know, obviously, you know, you can get speculative really quickly when you have guys that are bigger. But at the moment. He's not eighteen; he's twenty, and you know, I don't think there's any reason to worry about that at the moment, really. Especially because, obviously, if you're at a show, if you're shortstop, you're in a good position to move if necessary uh, to third base or something like that. But right now, I, I, you know, I, I I agree. I agree with uh, the people you were talking to. I, I think that he looks like he could he could do it at least for
4: a while. So I will say, you know, we've been excited and interested just in the turnaround in Kanapolis, I mean, last year was a really tough situation. I don't I don't know if you saw them last year, but they were obviously terrible, and there were a lot of guys there who just weren't ready for low A, but, you know, with the the shifting, you know, of the minor leagues, like, they really just didn't have a choice, and it was bad. So, it's obviously better. West Calf, the second rounder, off to, you know, kind of a slow start. I think, you know, James Beard has been interesting. Is there anybody else you saw in Canapolis, that you'd like to talk about that you think, you know, we should, we should be paying attention to who stuck out to you in Canapolis, other than, other than Montgomery.
3: I can touch on beard and Kath for sure. Real quick, like beard. I did see him a bunch last year and beard was with, as you say, uh, then, and, and we'll get to it because they're at higher levels now, but there were guys who did equip themselves. Well, there were basically two guys in the lineup last year who were, who were looked really promising. uh, But Some of the guys who didn't beard with one who didn't he looked like he wasn't ready off the top of my head i don't remember what his age is but i know he's pretty young still he's one of those typical guys who is he can really play center like i was watching him you know just you know it's not just that he's fast like like he was he was getting good jumps and good routes i was watching you know the games i was at he can really get it and he can run and it does look like he's getting the barrel to the ball a little bit more earlier you know i know he's repeating the level but he's definitely he's looking better for sure i don't know where I am on him as a prospect, but he's he's definitely more of an entity at the moment, I think. And calf, the short thing I saw was that, you know, I saw him hit a single and I commented on um, Twitter when I posted the video that it was a great, it was really good at bat. Not just he was taking pitches. It looked like he was having really good takes. It looked like he had an approach and it also, and he also fouled off a couple pitches to get to that one. So I, it's interesting he's off to a slow start. I mean, I guess that happens, but I, he didn't look, he didn't look overmatched to me.
1: Yeah, Ben, so you mentioned James Beard. He'll be 22 in September. So 21 years old this season, and it's encouraging to hear that at least the quality of play looks to be improved in Canapolis briefly, as you mentioned it. But you did say you saw Winston-Salem a lot. Uh, let's get to that team, as Winston-Salem Dash is housing Brian Ramos. Now, that is a player that James and I as everybody else at future socks and socks machine are excited about following what's your impressions about Brian Ramos and his professionalism at the plate specifically.
3: Yes, at the plate is definitely where he stands out. It's funny. I mentioned, I'd been to a lot of Canapolis games last year. I I saw him a lot. And after uh, Jose Popeye Rodriguez, he was the most, um, the most decorated player last year on that team. And, and this was as a teenager last year, he was 19, I believe. And now he's, 20 and he's playing in Winston-Salem and last year you could kind of see it. He's a big guy and he has huge power, you know, he has plus power. So you'll see it, you know, the other way, pull, whatever. Though he does like to go the other way, it seems like, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But you could also see like a little bit of latent hitting ability. Like he could find the barrel and, and do different things, which, you know, you don't always see from a bigger guy. You know, you're looking for, you know, you're looking for a loose fluid swings. You're looking for a guy who's able to meet the ball where it is and do different things, which he is. And, you know, he, he doesn't, he's, he's, uh, and he's really, I mean, he's really just gotten better this year because I'm watching him as a 20 year old in Haye, which is, you know, which is good. You know, that's like right on track. And he basically, you know, he he gets around on an inside fastball, but also you could, he could stay on a breaking ball low and away and just like poke it over the right field ball. And he's just consistently hitting the ball hard this year. And from talking to one or two other people, they're noticing the same thing. And it's um, he's just all around looking like a very, this very advanced hitter, and which is exciting. Obviously the positional fit is, it's a little weird, but he's also looking maybe a little bit, I don't know if he's lost weight, but a little bit like more muscular, a little bit lighter, a little bit lighter on his feet. And he's running a little bit better. I don't think he's ever going to be like, a, you know, a plus runner or even a plus defender. He's been making some really nice plays at third base. Still, the actions aren't like amazing, and he might get bigger. And you know, there's always questions there. But I think he can play third at least for the time being. I don't know how. You know, I think I think it's still going to be a bat reliant profile. But he's definitely going to be a guy that I'm uh, bothering my bosses about when when it's like, you know, at the end of the off, you know, end of the season, we're doing the white Sox list of bit. Oh, Brian Ramos with Brian Ramos because I really enjoyed watching.
4: Yeah, so we had Jim Callis on last week, and he, you know, he he was a big fan of his too. The thing about Ramos is that he's just so young. He's like nineteen. He's going to play the entire season at nineteen at Winston, and it's good to hear that you know he looks at least okay at third because the fear is that you know he's going to end up at first, and then he's really going to have to hit. So I think staying staying at third for him is pretty important. So that's yeah, good to hear
3: It's a double edged thing about him being so young, right? It's like, oh, he's a really advanced hitter, but you know, but also it's like, oh geez, he's already he's already a big guy. What's gonna happen? But right, yeah, exactly. I think for sure he looks he looks good and I think I'm, I'm sure he's been working on it. I'm sure I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he knows that that's the discussion around him.
4: So he's been really good there, but you know the attraction is obviously Oscar Colas. You know, I noticed that the White Sox have been playing him a lot in center field. I don't think anybody actually thinks that He's going to stay in center field. You wrote a piece on him. What are what are your impressions of Colas uh, as you've seen him early on in the year so far?
3: As far as defense, I think that's true. I, I think he's running a bit better and he's a little bit more athletic than the idea was. I mean, because I've read in places that he had bad weight and all that. I mean, he's a big guy, but he's he's very, very muscular. Look, the White Sox, I mean, I know the injuries, but the White Sox aren't going to need him to play center field anyway. We all know that. So you'd think that... Maybe as he gets closer, he'll play more corner outfield. He looks, to me, he looks like he can can spell people at center field. I think he can play there a little bit, but he moves well. He has a decent arm. He is going to be, you know, like Ramos, the bat is the biggest thing with him. He's definitely not swinging and missing a lot of pitches in, um, in high A. I think he's pretty advanced for that level. I could definitely see him getting moved up soon. Bat speed's really good. He gets a lot of, you know, he's got a bat path that's going to lend itself to to power. He's he's got the raw power ability, you know. He gets a lot of leverage on the swing. It's funny. One of my concerns, is I wrote it if I had a if I had a couple a, a, a concern about him, it was that I wasn't really seeing him pull the ball. I wasn't really seeing him attack the ball. I was wondering if maybe that was a bit of a pitch recognition thing, adjusting to what you know some of the better pitchers at this level are throwing. But he could he could sort of like almost look behind or look fooled on a pitch, and he'd flick it the other way and it would be a hard double down the line or it'd be a long line drive to the warning track or something like that. So it was like, it's like everything he's hitting is like coming off the bat. Well, and, you know, I I think a clip that probably went around is, is, is a single that won the game in Winston-Salem. Again, another team with a great, um, you know, TV production infrastructure. They, you know, they do a great job there. And, um, I believe it was like a curveball or something going away from him. And he kind of stayed on it and grounded it up the middle. Not that hard, but it was good to see him stay on that too. So I suppose the proof for him is going to be, and this is like a cop-out because I'm probably not even going to see him there. Though maybe maybe if he's up in Triple A, will go down there to see him. But, you know, he, it'll be to see how he does against more advanced pitching. But I, I think he's he's gotten going um, going fairly quickly. And I, I, I think he's done everything you could really want to see from him so far
4: a couple other guys that are interesting there. Um, You know, I feel like Luis Mieses has been in the system forever and he's still only like 21. You know, that's what happens when guys sign at 16. And then somebody, the white Sox are extremely high on is, you know, Adam Hackenberg, you know, what have you seen from him? That's an 18th round college pick, but you know, he was hurt a lot at Clemson and a lot of people didn't expect him to sign. And then he did obviously internal uh, evaluators are obviously, Always higher than the public, but they really love this guy. So, what what have you seen out of out of those two?
3: Well, with Hackenberg, um, his defense looks fine. I, you know, he is a bigger guy. I definitely think he has a lot of power at the plate. I don't, you know, I don't love the swing. I think that you know it can get a little grooved, a little stiff. I don't know how well he's going to do against really good, like breaking stuff, or just really good stuff in general uh, later on, but. I did see him like just crush a couple of mistakes deep to left field. He's got power for sure. And um, I I think if you can, if you can combine being a pretty good defensive catcher with the power, then all this, you know, that becomes a major league type profile pretty quickly. I think Sebi Zavala was kind of that a few years ago. I can see why people would be high on him, especially as it, Potential big developmental win, right, with the 18th round pick like that. I definitely think he's intriguing. Anytime you see a catcher who has offensive potential like that at all, you definitely, you could definitely get kind of excited. You know, Mieses, says it was funny. I saw him a lot at Canapolis last year, and I actually really liked him there. I've liked him in uh, Winston too. You know, he has a nice, clean swing, classic, pretty lefty swing. And um, I've seen him hit the ball the other way, I've seen him pull it with authority. I can't. I can't really articulate why. I haven't loved him as much as Winston Salem yet. I think maybe it's because I haven't seen him, you know, be as flexible handling different type of pitches, things like that.
1: That's good stuff, Ben. And it's encouraging to hear that the hitters, especially that we're following, are translating into at least via the eye test of a, of a scout is uh, passing all the tests. That's great. Something I'd like to talk to you about specifically is the consistency of the starting pitchers uh, that you saw. And if you didn't see guys, you know I apologize, but there's a handful of names, of course, on the top 30 list that the White Sox are trying to develop into major league pitchers, and that's Andrew Dahlquist, Sean Burke, Matthew Thompson. Among those, who stood out to you as the most consistent, and what did you like about what you saw, or some of the critiques that you may have of the guys that we are really high on?
3: Yeah, I uh, I'll start with someone who actually isn't the most consistent, but is someone who I've kind of again. Some with a lot with Canapolis last year, and he's actually been quite inconsistent, but he's someone who I definitely see potential in as as a Matthew Thompson, or Matt Thompson, I believe he, he goes by most of the time. But he's like, you know, he's kind of like Kelly. He's got that mid-90s fastball that plays well up in the zone, all that stuff. Has issues with command, which is why sometimes he'll just have terrible games. But he's got, I believe it's a slider and a curve. I used to think it was just a pitch who is varying to a great degree, but he sort of... He sort of throws a breaking ball in the lower 80s and a, and then a breaking ball in the mid 70s, and that's kind of a really interesting um, differentiator for him. One of them is very sharp, tight, and another one, when it's good, is is a, is a good 12 to 6 curveball. And gee, I know I wrote up a report where where I put a really good grade on him last year, and it didn't really represent how he'd been the whole year. But I saw one start of his, and and I was I thought it was great, and I you know he was. Not too old for the level, and he had a great game. The curveball looked great, the fastball looked great, and times like that, I think, well, this guy's at least going to be a reliever, like even if he's not a starter. Like I, I definitely see something in him. Burke, I saw once; he was up to the upper nineties early in the game. I think he generally, I think he settled more in ninety four, ninety six, curve curveball or slider, I forget, but it looked good at times. This was an opening day, this is a couple weeks ago. I've only seen him once. I, I he. I know he's he's kind of older and advanced. I don't know how many more times I get to see him, but I definitely would like to um, because he's promising as well. You mentioned uh, Dahlquist. Dahlquist, he's definitely got a few different weapons. I worry a bit about his stuff because I think his command's going to have to be good because I don't. He's not really throwing with huge velocity though. He does touch the mid nineties, and at times the curveball and the slider look like an interesting combo. He can throw the change a little bit. You know, he could be a four pitch guy, but. You know, I I don't know. I have to see more of that. I, I just think there's not a huge amount of room for error for him because they're all having, you know, like I said, low-level pitches. They're all having command issues at times. And Gil Luna, I, I think they're using Luna as a reliever at the moment, but I, you know, he's a lefty who throws pretty hard. I believe he gets up to the mid-90s and he has a changeup that I really like. I think that it fades away really well from right-handed hitters, and I think it, it plays well off the, uh, off the fastball. And I think being a lefty, all that stuff plays up. And I think that if they, you know, if he's a reliever, I think he could definitely rise up
1: uh, kind of quickly. The Gil Luna is interesting. You're right, because he is being implemented as a reliever. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. Those are the names in terms of the rotation pieces that we're interested in. And this is what I'll leave you with, Ben. And again, we appreciate your time, just your overall uh, consumption of white Sox baseball and the low level minors. What is the quality of play like? I know we discussed it briefly in Kanapolis. I assume that's an improvement, and it sounded like it's an improvement. It's, I mean, it's a, pretty, pretty difficult to match just how putrid it was last year on the field. So that's encouraging, and I know a lot has to do with them being back uh, following their first experience professionally. However, in Winston-Salem, I mean, a lot of young guys still playing, uh, you know, maybe a year or two below the average age in that league. How do you feel about the way the White Sox are standing up against the competition.
3: From what I saw, Winston-Salem was right there. I think that, um, like I said, they're making the plays defensively now. Ramos being good over there helps. Defensively, stuff like that, I mean, it's been pretty clean. I think that they're they're going to compete in the league this year. And, you know, people will say, how much, you know, does that matter? Does that not matter? Well, it kind of does. I mean, if you saw a couple of the teams that did really well last year, right, you had, you had the Pirates minor league teams doing well, which – they're a high-ranked system. And then you had the Yankees, who had a lot of breakouts last year. They, their teams were at the top of the standings. The Rays, of course, everyone wants to be like that with the, with how they develop players. Their teams do well. So you do want to see a team do well. And I think Winston-Salem will be a lot more competitive this year. Kannapolis as well. A lot of times in, in low A, or I think they're calling it single A now, the league is, a lot of times you'll see guys just randomly start kicking the ball around. Obviously, you want to avoid that um, as much as possible. But um, I definitely think, you know... Uh, they're going to be better down there than last year, as well. I think they'll be representative. I guess is what I'm saying. I, I don't necessarily have the the grasp on on every farm system well enough to say how they're going to be ranked. But I don't think it's going to be like last year, where it's like, oh, this is the consent, not consensus, but this
1: is. We all know we have the
3: worst farm system. I, I don't think it's going to be like that this year.
1: Yeah, it was pretty close to consensus, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) It was almost almost there. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Really good stuff. Really appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, follow Ben on Twitter at B underscore Span 2. And also subscribe to Baseball Perspective if you are interested. Ben, great stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show. So a few things to point out from that interview with Ben, and we, of course, appreciate his time it's hard to get a real sense of exactly the kind of players you're evaluating when you're seeing them sporadically however a handful of those names that he mentioned and described he did see you know like the guys who went from canapolis to winston salem so he's got a nice little you know notebook set of kind of the descriptions of what you're looking for as an evaluator or just searching for perspective that was uh, you know unique insight from a guy who's Got no biases. He's just looking to see good players and good talent. And there was a handful of good talent that he saw attached to the White Sox system. Now, it's always important. To, I like to say this on several podcasts. The White Sox got to the worst ranked system for a reason, but they are in the midst of climbing out of it because of how their strategy has affected their their top 30. International investment. Doing the things that they, quite frankly, haven't done in the past, and that's Committing to young high school players early in rounds. That will give you a boost. I've always been a fan of drafting high school players. You know, you don't have to go crazy and just litter your farm with high school talent because that sets yourself up for failure and inexperience and just an overwhelming lack of talent when it comes to trying to play at the professional level. Because without the luxury of, ex- well, I guess you can still send them to extended spring in Arizona, the Arizona League, but Even the talent in the Arizona League has stepped up, but you don't have in the same draft year the luxury to send guys to rookie affiliates, advanced rookie affiliates, or whatever the case may be. So you have to be cognizant of of the development path for high school players. However, that also gives you a lot of leeway. Guys get hurt? What? Like Tanner McDougall, for example, 18 years old. He'll be back ready to go as an approaching 20-year-old. It's a terrible thing to happen to any athlete, but when it happens to a guy who's younger, as opposed to a college arm who was 22, 23, then all of a sudden careers are in question. Not so much with, with younger prospects. And for example, Colson Montgomery is an older high school draft pick, but this is an advanced player already. And we're seeing it and you heard it from Ben in the interview. So there's just reason to be optimistic about the White Sox farm system. That's ranked at the bottom of the league, but I just don't, I don't see it as that. I see it as, yeah, there are a bunch of guys that kind of constitute why they're there, but also there is legitimate future big league expectations attached to those littered across this top 30. And there are guys that we're sleeping on ourselves at Future Sox, and that's part of the reason why we are really looking forward to the coverage across the full season of our staff members getting up close and personal looks of the players who are making up this farm system. That's what we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My name's Mike Rankin. You heard from James Fox. You also heard from Ben Spanier in this episode. Shout out to Lorenzo Bundy, the manager of the Winston-Salem Dash, early on at the beginning, giving us unique, one-of-a-kind perspective on his players, his first year in the system. Really telling on Oscar Colas, Thompson, Dahlquist, and even Brian Ramos. I mean, that's really good stuff. And thanks to Jeff Cohen for providing that audio. We are here for you every Tuesday on this network. Wherever you get your podcast, we're here for you. Every Tuesday, we will release a new episode of the Future Socks podcast. This time, I don't know. I thought it was okay. I don't know. Let me know. Email us, futuresocks at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts. And, of course, consider becoming a patron of SocksMachine.com. Go to SocksMachine.com and sign up for a patron service. And it'll really help us out. Really appreciate you listening and tuning in. Talk to you next week. Yes, it feels great to say that. My name is Mike Rankin. Stick with us. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday.